Welcome to The Truth in SR Beyond. We're in Philadelphia, and I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I'm going to share an interview I did uh, with a printmaker and owner of Philadelphia Printworks. Through her work, uh, she amplifies marginalized voices and empowers communities of color. Uh, this interview will delve into her journey as an artist and entrepreneur. I don't know if artist is the term that she'd use, but I think there's some artistic sensibilities there um, and the challenges that she's faced, as well as the impact that she hopes to make through her work. So please welcome my guest in this interview. Get ready for Mariam Pugh. Hello, hello. Thank you for, for, for meeting here. We're in um, lovely Philadelphia. Um, we have the uh, the fumes of uh, a Super Bowl coming soon, or the big game, as they say, because marketing, marketing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, thank you for making the time. Thank you for coming through. And um, I, I want to start off also super fashionable, too. Mm. When, you, when you said you were wearing now, I was like, hold oh, on. Oh, thank you like, so yeah. much. I like, like, <laughs> appreciate it. So can you tell us a bit about your background and like how it influenced the work that you're engaging in today? Um, and I think in particular, like, you know, experiences related to social justice. And I, I say that question because I think I always look for the origin story, like right. what's connected there. And I was sharing a little bit of mine in my 30 minute unedited pre-podcast talk um, that, you know, it's, it's in high school or even further back. So for you, <laughs> what were some of those like early experiences that kind of got your interest in what you're doing today? Yeah, well... Um, I didn't really have an origin story, <laughs> so I'm sorry, I just want to like not have a build up to that because that's not what's going to happen, <laughs> but I will tell you a little bit about my background and I, I think just the sum of all those things made me into the person that I am now and um, made me interested in pursuing the field that I decided to pursue. Um, so I grew up outside of Philadelphia in a small town called Coatesville, Pennsylvania. It's in the suburbs, <laughs> it's about 45 minutes away. Um, I grew up on a farm. My mother is Christian or was Christian and my father was Muslim. So I had that kind of, I guess, dichotomy, um, sure. which kind of led me to be more <clears throat> open-minded about religion and just a lot of different things. Me living on a farm, other people did not live on a farm. <laughs> so it's not like, you know, they're, everyone was going to school kind of talking about what they, you know, did in the fields that they are, you know, as a farmhand. Um, it was something that definitely kind of made me different from the people around me. Um, and so I kind of grew up having to get very comfortable with being different. Yeah. Um, let's see. After high school, I went to college at Cheney University. So that also is not too far from Coatesville, Pennsylvania. Um, and uh, it's an HBCU, a local HBCU here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I studied, compute, uh, studied computer science there. Um, learned a lot just uh, about myself. Uh, prior to that, most of the schools that I went to were pre predominantly white, you know, schools. Um, so kind of going to Cheney was really great to, it was just a really great growing experience for me. Sure. Um, and then once I graduated, I thought I was going to like travel the world and everything and, you know, <laughs> like figure out what I wanted to do. But I discovered that I was pregnant with my son Milo. Um, and so that kind of changed my trajectory. I decided to move to Philly because that's where Milo's father, his support network, is from. And um, I've been there ever since. I've been here for 20 years now. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> um, but again, it's really not that far from Coatesville. Um, and mostly because uh, after I got here, I started to kind of like dabble into the creative community here um, and I just found it to be so welcoming um, and friendly and Philadelphia being like halfway between New York and DC and you know Baltimore it just makes it a uh, very strategically placed to be able to get to both of those cities with no problem so uh, Philly is the kind of city that really grows on you you know kind of gets under your skin a little bit <laughs> so many people I know have moved away from here and then come back um, <clears throat> and it, it definitely has a special place in my heart. So, yeah, that's kind of how I ended up here. And I think, like, having all those kind of different experiences as I grew up and evolved into who I am now uh, definitely informed my decision to be uh, in something that I guess is social justice related. Yeah. No, th thank you. That's, uh, see, it's like you had the questions beforehand. I like how you're going through the, the, the process. I like that. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> and I, I read in doing my internet stock <clears throat> research uh, uh, appreciate it. that that you're a big reader as well, right? Right. So, so what sorts of books were you you into like growing up? And I, I asked that. I had a um, interview recently, and I was talking with um, the, the the guest, and they they own a bookstore, mm. and they were like one of the things that um, is black owned bookstore, and then one of the things nice. he had mentioned is that. You know, his dad would tell him, like, yeah, you'd learn about these white people, like, all week. He's like, Monday, you're reading about black people. It's no TV, none of that, just this is what it is. So that informed some of the direction as to why he has this bookstore and some of the things that are baked into that bookstore. So what sorts of, like, books were you reading, and do you think they have any, like, impact on, like, kind of, like, what you're interested in these days? Absolutely, uh, 100%. When, where I grew up, there was a library, a public library, about 10 minutes walk away. Uh, I used to walk there and pick out books, and I found myself gravitating towards books by, like, Alice Walker and Zora Neale Hurston. So those were my first, like, definitive, I guess, authors that would go on to kind of form who I would become as a person um, and kind of, like, plant some of those ideas uh, around, like, I guess, black feminism to some extent. Um, And then my father, he's a big reader, (laughs) a voracious reader. And I would say that he is the type of person that has, like, mountains of books just around the house. And I've always tried to do the same thing so that one day my child would pick up those books without, like, he was never, never, like, you have to read this book, but just being surrounded by it makes you familiar with those titles and it makes you kind of want to read that stuff. So definitely owe part of that to my father. Um, And then also um, I wanted to read the stuff that they were talking about in school. Mm. And I felt like I wasn't being, like I didn't want to be left out of certain conversations. Yeah. Um, and so I read a lot of like, I guess stuff, like I said, I did go to a primarily white, uh, you know, lower education um, schools. Sure. And so there they were reading things like, you know, Charles Dickens and <laughs> right, things that were not necessarily like black authors, um, but they were reading like The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, you know, so it was fun to read those things. But I primarily started doing it because I wanted to be involved in the conversations they were having. And I felt like I wasn't prepared if I did not read those things. So I wanted to have like some kind of like, yeah, um, participation and engagement in that. So that's kind of how I started out um, as a child. And then once I went to Cheney, the HBCU for college, there were just rooms full of books. You know, like you would go into the lounge and there would be like all these books up there. And I'd say that's probably when I started getting more into like James Baldwin and, you know, Audre Lorde and and people like that, kind of reading more about theory and and things like that. Thank you. So... Talk about a little bit, I see in your background that you'd have the corporate job in there and I'm having this sort of thought process right now um, in, in my in my real life and kind of making that leap. So talk about sort of that decision to kind of leave that sort of field and move into something that's more passion oriented and kind of going out, you know, on your own and trying to kind of switching gears, if you will. Yeah. So just to give a little bit more background, I've been doing Philadelphia Printworks for, I think, 11 years now. Um, it's something that I started as a side hustle, you know, <laughs> quote unquote. And I, at that time, fully planned to keep my full time job. Um, I felt like I could do both things at the same time and I felt like it could supplement my income in a really healthy way. Um, I would say about four years ago, so about two years before the pandemic ended, or started, um, I decided that I did want to start doing this full-time, uh, running Philadelphia Printworks uh, full-time. And I was in the computer field as a software engineer, uh, test engineer, and it was a big decision because uh, it, I was making a good amount of money and I did have a dependent. And you don't want to step out unless you know that you're ready to do it. So that's why I was able, that's why I grew the business alongside of, yeah, my full-time job for as long as 
as I could until I got to the point where it felt like, oh, maybe this can actually support me. Yeah. Um, and at that point, about four years ago, I stepped out on faith, you know, and um, decided to start doing it full time. And I did in the beginning take a bit of a pay cut. It was an adjustment, but I felt like there was less of a ceiling, you know, um, by being an entrepreneur. Um, yeah. And I had a track record of building that base. So it wasn't like I was just kind of stepping out on something that hadn't been proven. Um, and where I was working, um, I felt like I was living that kind of double consciousness they talk about, you know, where I would go into this, you know, software company and I didn't feel like I could be my full and authentic self yeah. all the time. And like people in the cafeteria would be talking about why they were voting for Trump. And I just didn't want to hear that anymore. Like, I think I was going through a phase where I just really wanted to be intentional about curating my life, yeah. you know? And I felt like I was in a position to be able to do that, even if it meant maybe making less money, you know, at the time. Yeah. Um, I also, at that time, was seeing people, like my manager had been there for 25 years, and he was let go. So this idea of like some kind of security mm -hmm. in a corporate job, and now, right now, we're seeing a lot of the tech field laying people off, you know? Like, there's just been rolling layoffs across a lot of different industries, and most recently, the tech field is uh, one of those industries. And so I just think that we have this false sense of security when it comes to corporate jobs yeah. um, that does not necessarily exist. So for all those reasons, um, I decided to like just kind of start doing Philadelphia Printworks full time, and I'm so happy I did. Like I really love it. <laughs> so more more to come on that. I, yeah. I, I want to comment on that real quick. Um, in, in, in sort of the same spot where you realize where you're at and kind of building this, and mm -hmm. it's it's these things that every now and again it's this poke. I don't have the kind of dual consciousness thing. I have the Sometimes if I'm like I have my backpack with my gear in it, right? Mm -hmm. But there was one time I was leaving. I had gym bag, gear, like I had maybe like a suit or something to wear for an after party, after pod engagement. And then I was wearing, I was like, I have four costumes with me right mm -hmm. now. I was like, this is not something I can maintain mm -hmm. or, or even like last Thursday, literally a week ago, just running from seven to seven just doing everything non-work related by the way just trying to make it happen and it's like all right it's i'm always tweaking like you mm -hmm. mentioned the sort of strategy component there mm -hmm. you know i think about those things a lot how i'm going to go about this but it's like the configuration of what i want doesn't quite match mm -hmm. what the situation is mm -hmm. and i'll throw this out there i think in multiple fields like i'm kind of around tech you know, it's like, oh, you're yes. data, so right. you're this. And I feel like there's a consistent almost pissing contest between employee oh. and employer. And it's like, how terrible can we be right now? Mm. And it's like, yo, I, you know, I fall for it on occasion. I've said this before, and it's ridiculous, but it's actually funny. I um, have this person that, that I work with, and you can see the finessing, and I'm like, I can't finesse. Mm. You can see the finessing. Like, mm. we're in the office three days a week. Right. And somehow they're not in the office at all. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I want to be able to not be in the office. I can go to Philly <laughs> and do podcasts. And right. I, I remember I was talking with my boss, and I was like, how about we replace her with a sequel script? She's like, you are oh. stupid. I was like, man, ChatGBT exists. She was just like, stop. Dang, that's I like, AI. I was like, that's essentially what it is. Mm. She's like, ugh, that Capricorn energy is heavy. <laughs> Savage. <laughs> so going back, as I try to be not completely petty, talk about um, Philadelphia Printworks a little bit, PPW. <laughs> um, talk about the mission and, like, you know, like, what, like, sparked that interest in, like, ultimately what the mission is. I guess start off with what the mission is and I have bullet points after that. Yeah, yeah, sure. So the mission of Philadelphia Printworks, which is a kind of social justice heritage brand, uh, is to amplify marginalized voices. Um, basically, we use t-shirts and apparel as a medium to be able to do that. Uh, and our main goals are to amplify, advocate, and fundraise for uh, marginalized communities. So that's the goal. See, I like it. It's like, it's like you've read it before. It's like I've, I've done this. Like a, you've a said times. it before. Yeah, I have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. I remember I have a buddy who was talking about um, we were in this like sort of conversation with some people that were eavesdropping in a conversation that we were having, mm. and we were they were like, "You guys are podcasters, aren't you?" Because <laughs> the, the, the back and forth, and <laughs> they were like, "So what's the podcast about?" My boy's like, "Yeah, you know, we'd be talking about stuff," and I was like, "Don't!" Uh, I was like, "Can you work on your pitch?" I was like, "You've actually lost us listeners the by saying this." Pitch. <laughs> Yeah, stay ready. So you don't gotta get ready. So, like, so what what sparked that that interest in like really going out there and saying I'm gonna put a lot of my time, energy, and you know faith, if you will, mm-hmm. into pursuing and pursuing this, pursuing Philadelphia Print Works. Um, you know, like I can always track why I started this. Mm-hmm. Trump pissed me off talking about Baltimore. Oh, that's that's yeah, what it was. That was a direct attack. We talked about Philly too, but yeah, yeah I feel you. I got reminded of that too. I was like, <laughs> "Hey, that's my Monday. Y'all get it, you know? Right. I grew my beard out too." Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, what was the motivation and the, the the sort of sparked the interest? Yeah. So when I started Philadelphia Printworks, um, really, I started at the time with Ruth Rivera, um, Paloma Perez, and we kind of met being in similar circles in the creative community in Philadelphia. Um, we used that energy to create something um, that we felt like represented what we were interested in doing. Um, and after one to two years, Ruth and I parted ways and I continued to do Philadelphia print works on my own. Um, so just wanna make sure I'm giving that shout out uh, to my co-founder. Yeah. Um, And really, at the time, uh, we both had our own reasons, and I had been wanting to start a business before we actually, like, had the, you know, wherewithal to do it. Um, I thought about doing it for years before I took the first step, and in the beginning, it feels like it's never going to happen, and people are like, oh, what about that thing you've been talking about doing, you know, like, how's that thing going? And you have all these doubts in your own mind that you have to, like, work through, Um, but really, I wanted something creative. I've always wanted to work for myself or, you know, be a, kind of just had that autonomy over my life. and I wanted to do something that could impact my community. And I felt like t-shirts were something that were very low risk in terms of starting a business, um, but could also check off the rest of those you know, things that I was interested in doing at the time. So that's where like, the idea of starting a t-shirt company that was focused on social justice issues kind of came from. Um, And my interest in social justice, I just feel like I don't know how you cannot be interested in it. (laughs) Like, even if you don't, like, make it your mission and life's goal, and sometimes I even wonder if that was a mistake on my part, but even if you don't, like, focus a lot of energy on it, we're always aware of it, you know, as, and by we, I mean black and people of color, you know, or anyone who's in an othered group, like, you're always aware of being made to feel other, so I just don't like feeling that way, <laughs> like, I want what I was promised, <laughs> you know, like, I, I guess I was raised to believe in, you know, the quote-unquote um, equality for all that this country promised, you know, yeah. and therefore I want this country to be better. I wanted to do better. I hear you. I hear you. It, it's it's important. You don't want to feel feel other. Um, and I think you know when we're being unique, when we're being ourselves. There's all of these instances where. I'm going to be under, but not to that sort of really broad degree because there's something else added to it. You know, when we are, I guess, looked at sort of in this country, it's just like, oh, you're other because of this. It's like, no, 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 no. I'd rather just be myself versus you guys are bucketing me in this way. And I didn't ascribe by that. I didn't agree to that. Mm -hmm. None of this is what I wanted. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Being unique is definitely one thing, you know, like in having our own culture and things that make us, you know, who we are is definitely important. I'm not, you know, advocating for some kind of assimilation, but re- and that's not what I think you're saying, but just to like drive home the point that really it comes down to resources, mm-hmm. you know, or like laws that are put in place in a way that like make people feel um, like they're not being uh, represented and, and given a fair shape the way everyone else is. Thank you. <laughs> no, that's, that's right. So I want to say, I remember because it was happening in, in live and in, 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 in person, uh, this sort of uh, faux, I'll call it faux, because that's me. I'll call it this sort of faux, really public consciousness, quote unquote. Um, I want to say probably, let's say 2020, 
George Floyd mm-hmm. on, on past, where brands are starting to be more conscious and more woke and more right. aware. Right. And hmm, otherwise, they're kind of dubious. You know, it's just like, nah, you gotta got a track record. It's like, don't, <laughs> right. don't go through and start redacting episodes of Golden Girls. Y'all had blackface oh, in the episode here or, or whatever the thing is, right? Yeah. And I'd rather, mm-hmm. you know, some of these things have sort of a disclaimer there mm-hmm. versus, because then it just infringes on, you know, we can just control, we can curate what the experience is, curate what history is. Oof. And that's just where my mind goes. Right. But this question has very little to relate all of that, but as one of the context. <laughs> no, I believe uh, there's a thread there. So, so could you speak on the importance of like getting the message right? Because there's a lot of times where these, these brands, mm-hmm. you know, they will put out something that, you know, you guys are doing the right, but, Thank you me. know, putting out there sort of the right message, because these folks, they'll put out something that says, ah, what was it? It was one that, what is it? Maybe it was American Apparel? It was something really weird about like the, the, the wildest monkey in the room or something. I was like, why is oh, there a black no. kid in this oh, yeah, ad? Yeah, it, it was maybe that, that or a yeah, gap. Or like H&M or something. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you guys have done this more than one time. Like, right. can we. They're trolling us. Like, what, what's happening here? And then some that try to do this thing that feels woke, that feels like, all right, the intent was there, but. You didn't have any black people in the room when you came to that sort of decision. Right. So from your vantage point, speak on the, the sort of importance of kind of getting the message right and how, like, what sort of work goes into that? What was the last part? Like, what sort of work goes oh. into getting that, getting that message right? Like, is it, you know, having people in various, um, mm-hmm. like, disciplines and backgrounds being a part of sort of conversation? Yes, 100%. Um, One of the things that we typically say, or I typically say, is that if you are not one of the people who are directly impacted by something that you're speaking on, then you should pass the mic, you know, to them. So you essentially have a platform and you're giving other people an opportunity to use that platform to speak out of their firsthand account. Um, Kind of tying that back to this kind of movement where companies were becoming more... I just, I don't even know that they were becoming more woke. I just think that it became urgent for them to make some kind of statement about race, you know, or racism uh, because of public pressure, you know. And I, that whole time was very surreal as a black business owner because we saw this like tsunami of sudden support from the rest of the country who doesn't typically have to think about these types of things. And it kind of made me feel like, wow, this is what it feels like to be supported. Like if, if the country or more people had empathy, um, like, wow, (laughs) just imagine how much we could get done, you know, with that type of those types of resources. So seeing that happen in real time was like definitely a roller coaster. And then now, a couple years after seeing the that energy kind of like fall away is also very disheartening, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's just really sad. And it goes to show how not truly invested people were in being a ally or a conspirator um, and that they were kind of just doing it um, because they had to score some kind of marketing plus points for their, so they wouldn't get canceled, um, I guess, essentially. So I think that what businesses can do is continue to try to work on their like DEI efforts, and I say that rolling my eyes. <laughs> or to Jedi this week, or <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But um, because like they, I'm speaking from a place where my lens informs everything that I do. So there come a lot of like non POC people don't necessarily know where to even start or begin, and they're I guess. What they need to do, really, and what they can do is listen to the people that are um, kind of telling them what is authentic to the black experience or to other experiences that might be outside their own, um, and then actually, like, trust that there is a culture or there is another way of doing things that might not be the status quo, but that could still have an impact and be profitable, you know, because at the end of the day, they they care most about profits, unfortunately. Yeah, when someone's saying they're beating up Negroes like hotcakes, Mm -hmm. you know, you... 
always making Chappelle references, but it's it's like you got to trust folks when they're saying that this is what the experience is, this is what the story is, and yep. the other thing I'll make this comparison, maybe it works, but it's like when you're making measurements, right? You measure twice, cut once. It's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. you're not familiar with. It's like maybe mm-hmm. you should listen mm-hmm. twice mm-hmm. and then kind of act or try to be in right. once and. You know, I, I remember some of the things locally in, in Baltimore where, you know, different protests, different sort of this response mm-hmm. to things. Mm-hmm. There were certain folks who don't look like you and I that mm-hmm. wanted to be the lead in the face of these mm-hmm. things. I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. And I remember NFL. Mm-hmm. I remember some of the things that uh, they have a history, recent history of doing, but it's like, oh, suddenly, oh, your highest paid players are all black. Mm-hmm. And their quarterbacks, so faces of franchises. So, to your point, I think there's something that has to be done to, yeah, we're backing them, we support them, but then the message starts to change. Instead of on the back of the helmets, Black Lives Matter or mm-hmm. what have you, it turns into choose love, something that's a little bit more sanitized. <laughs> Palatable, yes. Yeah. And I think there's something in going back to it with the thread, right? Mm-hmm. When you trim out something, something gets lost in that message, and then that becomes what it is. Yeah. And it's about cultural preservation, and th- that's where I'm kind of shifting a lot of my, I think, what I'm doing in this podcast, kind of getting something at a moment in time. 100%. Um, I also think that sometimes I've, I'm very insulated, you know, now that I've walked away from, you know, being in those rooms where I was the only black person um, working in the software field to being able to kind of curate who I surround myself with. I feel, and even being here in Philly, because Philly has such a like strong organizing and movement building history, um, I think that sometimes I'm a bit insulated from what's going on in the rest of the country, you know? And there are places like this, um, what is it? Like the, there's like these holds of very, like very strong religious, groups, um, which kind of like are bringing the conversation back in the other direction, you know, and they're the ones who are pushing a lot of, uh, along with, you know, different Republican parties, and I'm not being exactly articulate about this because I can't think of the name of the group, uh, Evangelical Christians. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I do believe that's like a current, you know, under the kind of base of who America is and has been. Mm -hmm. And I think that they have a very strong stronghold on who they want America to be. Um, And I think sometimes like that's what we're fighting against. So Mm -hmm. having that kind of like middle of the road messaging sometimes helps like people who are all the way on the other side to kind of like move towards the middle. Um, And then even like with older generations of African-Americans, like we're typically a conservative group, you know? Like, so even like sometimes getting them on board, like they don't always like the messages that Philadelphia Promarks puts out. (laughs) So I, right, like, even though I, sometimes I don't even see the work that I'm doing as like radical or whatever. I just see it as speaking to the black gaze rather than the white gaze, you know? So I'm centering myself rather than making it about, like constantly thinking about, um, like defining myself or explaining myself to someone who doesn't have the context of what I'm talking about. Right. And that in itself is scary for a lot of people. As a, you, you might find this very interesting based on what you were saying there, being a person that worked in a Catholic institution for a while, and the moment that I spoke about diversity, somehow my contract wasn't extended. Mm. Yeah. But, they, but they're all like, DEI, diversity, please tell us what you feel until you tell us something to make us uncomfortable. It was, and it was ironic yeah. because I was in a diversity meeting with the new diversity person doing a listening tour. I'm so sorry. And <laughs> it's this vibe where in there you have a few white women in it who, oh yeah, we're, you know, we're in this sort of same, so it's not the same. It's like, I'm the only black male here in this meeting and they're gaslighting me live and in person Mm -hmm. and it's just like oh but I think it was one of those that experience it was one of those things where I was like oh oh no I see what this is Mm -hmm. I don't want to I don't need to be here so Mm -hmm. it was kind of one of those things it was like a race 
Mm-hmm. It's like my contract wasn't extended, but also I had my leather resignation in hand because right, right. <laughs> it just didn't fit, you know, for me anymore. But yeah, having those sort of people who have these sort of conservative ideals or what have you, like right. when you look back at certain things in history, you know, we like to look back like 30, like we were around 30 years ago, you know what I mean? It's like we were kids, but we were around 30 years ago. And when people mention certain things like, yeah, this was a law that was enacted during this time that impacted like black folk. I was like, yeah, but a lot of black folk voted for it. Mm. Like, what are you saying? You know, super yeah. predator conversation, you know? Mm. Yeah. So moving back <laughs> as, as, as the inner um, Capricorn comes out. Um, so talk about that that process of discovering sort of like screen printing. Um, you know, people ask me about this, right? Mm. How'd you get into podcasting? I was like, I don't know. I'm, I like radio. And I was like, how do I record people, mm. you know, with their consent, right? And so for, for screen printing, how did you like, because I tried and I failed. How did you get into it? <laughs> yeah, I love screen printing. Like just you mentioning it made my face like light up, you know? I saw that. Um, yeah, like, I don't know. There's something, like I said, I'm a person who loves to work with my hands. I'm a very tactile being and uh, coming from a computer field where everything was so abstract and logical, Mm -hmm. it was really nice to have something that I could do and then look at and be like, I did that, you know, that exists, that's real, that's in life, you know, like that is out here in the world. Um, And so learning how to screen print, I had never done it before, uh, before I started this business. Uh, (laughs) I don't necessarily have an art background. And like I said, I went to school for computer science. Um, And so me and Ruth, we just started asking around. You know, we like watched a ton of YouTube videos, a lot of DIY, learning how to do it yourself. Um, A lot, we built, um, like so for screen printing, there's a certain amount of equipment that you need at a base level. And Mm -hmm. it's not as expensive as like some art forms, but it is, it can be cost cost prohibitive. Um, So we like built our own light box, you know, whatever we could DIY we did. Um, And then beyond that, just learning the art and craft, we would speak to other screen printers in the city. And they were always like willing to share whatever information and knowledge that they had. and I don't know, Philly is a really great city for that because as soon as you tell somebody that you're doing, there's just so much opportunity to do things on your own. You know, like there's so much space to be the one to have that poetry night or to, you know, start that t-shirt company. Um, As soon as you tell somebody you're doing something, they're like, how can we collaborate? (laughs) You know, what are we gonna work on together? So that feeling that love, I think helped to keep us going and to keep me going and I still feel that love and that kind of collaboration and community. That's 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 great. It's beautiful. It's um one of the things that, that I've noticed in coming up here for the last four or five months at this point. It's like, oh yeah, that's cool, bro. Keep it rocking. You need anything? It's like, cool. Uh, like why do you have pretzels? Like what are we doing? Like, where do these pretzels come from? Uh, and no, that's 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 really great. And some of those things you, you start out with and I look for like you know, it's this conversation around sort of, there's so many things that are, are digital that require a computer, but when you get to a spot where you're able to do something that's like analog, mm-hmm. I like to try to find a way to make these things analog. So mm. this is obviously has like um, this recording setup or what have you, this is my like road setup. Okay. But I like to be able to add this sort of there's still tech here, but it's still being there next to a person in real life versus, mm-hmm. hey, let's hop on a Zoom and talk through it. There's some there's something that gets lost. It could still be great, but there's something that's lost there, or maybe when it's in person, there's something that's gained. But there's this other sort of dynamic where when you have like the notepad, like I pulled out my Hokusai notepad or have you, I like to keep that with me because when I'm writing something now, I want to have the imperfections. I want to have that sort of analog thing where mm-hmm. if I go into my notes app in the phone, I can write down an idea, but I might be inclined to delete it. Now I have the thinking that was there that I may have scratched out. Mm-hmm. It may still be something there in that idea, mm-hmm. even though that I intended to remove it. It's like, why did I write that right in there? No, 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 that's another idea that's coming from it. It's like a tree, it's a chain or something. Mm-hmm. So I think having sort of digital and analog being a part of it, and you know, this is low cost. Yeah, I could use something different than a MacBook, but this is sort of low cost for entry, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have sort of those sometimes colored barriers that can be there. And you know, I think 
that's why like you look at social media, right? When Instagram started shifting away from images, Mm, okay. Images was like a low cost way to kind of get in. You can have yeah. really good gear, but for you to start off, you can have an okay camera. Right. And it's like, oh yeah, let's go with video. Yeah. And then, you know, if it proves a decent video, you kind of need certain pieces of gear. Some people need lighting for sake of argument. Mm-hmm. I've talked to people who do video, and it's like, oh bro, do I need lighting? Because <laughs> that's going to be a different price. <laughs> so, yes, it is. Um, so as, a, as an entrepreneur, um, what was something that you always envisioned for yourself? Like, and, you know, and, and challenges, you know, surprises, things of that nature. But what is something you've always envisioned for yourself um, as an entrepreneur? Maybe something that's coming forth, maybe something that you've already, already experienced. You're like, that happened the way that I was hoping it did. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I had mentioned earlier, I have always seen myself being my own like boss and being a business owner. And I think really the reason for that is because I always wanted to lead something. Like I always felt like I had the capacity for leadership and I didn't feel like I was being given those opportunities. Um, or even like this idea of meritocracy, you know, like I worked hard <laughs> to be given those opportunities, but even at the software uh, company that I work for, like, there was these, the employees were very diverse, but the upper management was not, you know, like, they all were typically 90% white men. Yeah. Yeah, so, I guess I, um, I really just always saw myself being able to kind of lead my own ship, uh, steer my own ship in a way, and I have been given that opportunity with uh, Philadelphia Printworks. For the past, so once I decided to leave um, the software field and start doing this full time, mm-hmm. I did start building out my own print shop. I've had different iterations of print shops along the way, but this is one that I was like, all right, I'm doing this full time. Okay, um, we got a studio in West Philly, and uh, we started building it out. And along with that, I started building out kind of a staff. And I was very scared about it at first. <laughs> you know, I had a lot of trepidation, and I like hired one person, one printer, and I was like, all right, let's see how this goes. Um, and it's kind of like the idea of being a goldfish in a, you know, like in a, in a bowl. Yeah. Like the bigger space that you have, um, the bigger you can grow, you know. And so I found that having someone else to help um, actually allowed us to grow yeah. in a way that was like manageable, you know, and, and healthy for what we needed at the time. Um, and then fast forward to, I guess, about... I, around, around the time of the George Floyd protest, we were given this like crazy influx of orders and cash and um, it was kind of just like an injection yeah. of funding. And so I was able to like really build out my team at that time. And I was very uh, intentional about making a space that reflected the ideals, you know, and values that I stand for. Um, and would make sure everyone was paid like above minimum wage and a fair and uh, equitable uh, amount and then also like health care and things of that nature and I was really really excited to be able to do that but then <laughs> you know and I was the leader you know I was like uh, doing all the things that leaders are supposed to do um, but I just realized that I couldn't keep up with it you know like it was just it was very demanding like having to always be the one with the answers you know mm-hmm. like there was a certain amount of burnout and exhaustion that came along with that so just from an entrepreneur's perspective I discovered that I don't want to be that kind of leader <laughs> I don't want to be a manager I don't want to have to deal with the day-to-day operations of running a print shop you know, specifically um, even though that was a large part of Philadelphia Printworks like business model for a long time um, I realized that I kind of had to go back to my original mission which was amplifying marginalized voices and I could do that without necessarily having to have a print shop you know it was nice to be able to create a space and it was beautiful for what it was when it was but um, I'm kind of in a new uh, chapter now and I think my initial feelings of wanting to be a leader and that being one of the reasons that I kind of like became a small business owner, I don't really feel that need as much anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's, it's finding like what the next stage looks like of yes. what you're doing and um, yeah. you know, I've touched on it and people always give me that look of shock and awe mm-hmm. when I say like in 2022 I put out 300 podcasts mm-hmm. and like how? It's like, because I'm a crazy person. And I'm obsessed <laughs> with the thing that I do and, and so on. But also, I like the way you described the, 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 the goldfish sort of scenario mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to build out what that team might look like. Yeah. Because 
you know, what's going to be required of me to do this, it may be less of behind the scenes. It might be more going to places and getting those interviews and, mm -hmm. you know, that sort of two hour commitment to do an interview. It now, if I'm going up to, let's say, Philly, if I'm going down to a different state, that configuration is a lot different. You know, mm -hmm. it's like an hour and change coming up, hour and change going back. And if I'm doing two interviews like I'm doing today, that's a whole different setup then I could sit there at the studio, knock out four interviews, right. and still have time for lunch. Right. And it's like, all right, finding someone that kind of connects with the values that I have, gets what I'm trying to do, mm -hmm. and then it's just like adding value. I, I think that there are, when it comes to like leadership, when you're dealing with leadership, which I used to get told this a lot by an ex-boss, okay. when you're dealing with data, when anything that I was like, I never knew enough, when you're dealing with this, it was always one of these weird ages sort of things. But I'll say, it's. I think there are two sorts of leaders, um, generally speaking. You have, you know, people who are how people. You have why people. Okay. And I think why is always connected to sort of that mission. It's like, well, this is why I want to do this. So have you help me figure out some of the how? I have an, I have ideas on the how, but help me figure out the how. Mm -hmm. But I know why we're doing it. I know why we're doing this podcast. I know why we're doing this sort of facilitated storytelling, how we're going to put it out and so on. I think a team needs to be a part of that to kind of help fill in some of those sort of time gaps and some, some of those knowledge gaps. Because if you're out here trying to save the world with the message, <laughs> you can't do it all. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, so this is the last real question I have for you. Okay. And um, every everything else is BS. Someone told me that the rapid fire are BS questions. I was like, Duh. look, I was like, you're trolling me. Right. <laughs> so I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this. Um, so like, how does the city, in this case Philadelphia, mm. how does it grow while maintaining its culture, while preserving that sort of culture? And like, how do you define a culture here? Hmm. Huh. I don't know. In the in the frame of sort of arts and what you do, have okay. you touched on it Thank a few you. times? I like to you know really <laughs> I need bring that in perimeters. Um, the type of person was like, oh, this question. And computer science background. Think about it. So many different angles I uh, could approach this from. From the food coaching standpoint. Uh, it's right, this. right, right. <laughs> um, I guess like from the art side of things, uh, like many major cities, Philadelphia is seeing a lot of gentrification, and typically it's the artists who find these like homes that aren't as expensive and move in and change the culture of the neighborhood and then other people with more money move in and then they totally like obliterate the culture that was there before um i think that the responsibility is to communicate uh, and listen and we actually have a shirt <laughs> this is my shameless plug uh, for a shirt called good neighbor um, we have a shirt respect the locals we've kind of like talked about gentrification a little bit on um, these themes uh, and really the idea is about educating yourself if you're someone moving into these neighborhoods um, about what kind of developers are in these neighborhoods who's working there what is the developers track history do they you know care about the people that are there and do they care about displacement like you are not a passive observer you have to be engaged you have to do the work you have to educate yourself and mostly like just make sure that you listen um, which has been a kind of a common theme um, every place has a culture uh, when you before you got there and so just making sure that you're paying respect to the culture that was there before you arrived um, so that that culture can maintain itself long after you're gone well said thank you <laughs> all right now it's time to get weird um <laughs> after all of that good and impactful and i feel like this has gone well like yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, totally. like, like i'm terrible but i feel like this is no, well. no this is great <laughs> so so i got i got a couple rapid fire questions for you um and you know because i think you and i have um there's some kinship there don't overthink them the same thing i would tell myself don't overthink them. <laughs> okay okay all right so here's the first one what in your opinion is the Philly food like what is that that item people say cheesesteaks people say oh go to the Knicks people will say <laughs> uh, pretzels will have you for you what is your like when you think of Philadelphia what is that food that comes to mind for you it's the cheesesteak yeah 
That has mm. to be the cheesesteak. Describe your cheesesteak. Uh, you know, some imitators out here. I just had a cheesesteak last night, okay? Um, there's so a certain black. amount of juiciness. <laughs> so, so last night. <laughs> yes. Like, I needed you to feel this. <laughs> um, there's a certain amount of greasiness to it. I was actually talking to you about this before yeah. we started uh, recording. Just this. Nobody makes cheesesteaks like Philly makes cheesesteaks. It's called a Philly cheesesteak for a reason. Um, not saying that the other cheesesteaks aren't good. They're just not the same. Thing, it's okay? not a chopped cheese, okay? bro. It's not a chopped cheese. <laughs> um, and so this is like a, my perfect cheesesteak has salt, pepper, ketchup, a little bit of mayo, um, fried onions, and yeah, that's it. Chef kiss. So I'm going to run that back. You said something that felt very Baltimore, by the way. Okay. Salt, pepper, ketchup is definitely how we order things. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. okay. <laughs> You, you've been around. You, there, there's, see, through salt, pepper, ketchup, there's the Baltimore to Philly pipeline. The diaspora working together here. Um, what is the book that you've read the most? Mm, the most? Oh my goodness. I haven't read it in a very long time, but there's this book that, oh, that's not what it's called. I don't remember the name of it. But, okay, so then I'll move on to my second book. I'm sorry. That's, you're good, you're good. <laughs> um, the second book is probably Zora Neale Hurston's Their Eyes Were Watching God, because that's my, um, one of my favorite authors. And there was just something about the language and the way it was written, you know, which is specifically, like, to bring forth and... Like, the, the language itself is like a character, you know, almost, and that's very much different than any other book that I've read. Um, and so you really have to, like, fully immerse yourself in the reading um, and kind of, like, just be there and be a part of it. So I've read that one a lot. Um, let's see. Uh, do you have a saying or personal, like, guiding principle or philosophy that you live by? I have a lot of them. Well... <laughs> Um, but one of them, I guess, that like kind of always comes back to me and, you know, cliches are so funny because you hear them as a kid and you're like, of course, you know, don't like look both ways before you cross the street, you know, something like very obvious, but certain things you have to experience to really understand like the nuance of the saying. Sure. Um, I would say that this one that I've typically used with business and entrepreneurship is go as far as you can and then you'll be able to see further, you know, because mm. there is so much unknown mm. with running a business and being an entrepreneur um, uh, and especially like one that maybe feels like I had to do it all from the muscle, you know, yeah. um, because there aren't always a lot of resources out there and the resources that are available are very slim. Um, yeah, you just kind of like, you don't always have all the answers when you start something. So just do what you can with what you know and then what, the more you do, the more you'll learn, and then you'll make better decisions once you get there. That's great. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Um, if what would you do if you only could work for one hour a day? Work, work like do something I don't want to do. Like um, do something that definitely like let's say the other twenty three hours out of the day you had to sleep. Oh, you're saying like what am I doing with the rest of the time? Yeah, what are you Not doing with that? Hour? Yeah. Oh, um. I am, and you said I can sleep, right? Yeah, everything else is sleep. Okay. Yeah. So you got one hour. <laughs> what do you sleeping. do in that? What do you do within that one hour? Like, how do you prioritize? I, I had someone um, answer me this the other day. It's like I'm probably just planning out what the next day is going to be. Like I'm just planning out. Like here's a checklist. Mm. <laughs> just working on checklists. So I only get one hour mm -hmm. to do whatever I want. Yes. I don't like this question. <laughs> a lot of people hate it, but it's yes. like, look, you know, it's like, what do you prioritize? Right, I like this other person's plan. Like, how am I escaping this evil health scape that I found myself in? <laughs> because one hour a day is just ridiculous. <laughs> it's well, not the life that I want to live. I, I don't want that for anyone, you know, although I know that it's a reality for many, many, many people to not even have that much time to themselves. Um, but yeah, I'm plotting. Okay. 
this is the last one I got for you. And I've, I've been trying to add more of this in there because you know I care about I care about the people that come on. I'm not just here for the for the interview. Okay. Um, <laughs> I like to ask people like self-care oriented questions and I remember they started up here actually started in Red Philly actually oh, okay. I was like yo what you have for breakfast today mm. I was like half a cigarette and a banana I was like yo <laughs> so or I had this theme of um, you know people saying that uh, when I asked how many hours of sleep are you getting and they would say mm. probably about four hours it's like you need more I would turn into dad dad face <laughs> so for right. you what is that one practice like one practice that um, you do to, with respect to self-care like is there something you do is it a meditation? Is it going to your favorite coffee shop? Is it something that you're like, I'm doing this purely for me, and this is definitely serving my soul? This is going to sound so bad, but I... <laughs> Greasy cheese sticks. <laughs> I know. Like, that's the thing. You can't be eating those cheese sticks all the time, or you will be very, very uncomfortable um, just in your skin. Uh, I, I just, at this big age of mine, I'm coming to the conclusion that... I cannot escape this cycle of exercise. Like, I just have to do the thing. I have to be active. Um, especially, like, there was this, I don't know, I feel like once I graduated college, there was this big, like, push, like, get a desk job, do the desk job. But part of having a desk job and sitting all day means that, especially, like, when we were all working from home, if you had that, you know, when a lot of people were working home yeah. from home, um, it's that you have to remain active, you know? and like. I literally feel like shit when I don't remain active, you know, yeah. part of my language. So no <laughs> having just like getting on the treadmill, I hate exercising, but I love having exercised. Like yeah. I love how I feel after I'm done. I feel the same way. It's a good start to the day. <laughs> You're like, everything that I dreamed about that sucked. <laughs> you know? right. And yeah, like as a person that like, I, I was pretty active during that, that time, what have you, but I was like, I was a crazy person. And this, this, you'll, you'll love this, because um, it has a Philly connection, pop culture Philly connection. <laughs> my, my, so this, this, this is pretty much the end of the podcast, but I thought it would be funny to uh -huh. say this. So I used to hate Bradley Cooper, right? <laughs> Like irrationally, right? <laughs> and um, so it was one year um, I had tickets to a screening of A Star is Born. Okay. And they gave us guitar picks, the whole thing. Oh, wow. And my girl looks at me, she's like, What's this contrarian spiral that you're in? You're here, this, <laughs> his movie, he's singing, he's starring, directing, you got a guitar pick. You're like, oh my God, are you crying that, he, that he's not? And I was like, look, man. Who are you? And so during the, during, during the beginning of COVID, being out there and being, being active, mm -hmm. I'm walking around in Baltimore. It's sweltering, right? Wearing the trash bag with the hoodie. She's like, why are you in Sobelani's playbook right now? And she, and she was like, you know what? You and your dad are him and Robert De Niro. Oh my God. So she was making those sorts of connections. I thought it was really, really funny and, and a good uh, little story here. Yes, thank you for sharing. So in these final moments, um, I want to thank you for coming on to this podcast. This has been a treat. Thank and you for having welcome. me. Absolutely. And um, I want to um, offer the floor up to you, um, shameless plug. Anything that you want to share in the final moments we have here? Where can he find you? Where can he check out Philadelphia Printworks? All of that good stuff. But the floor is yours. Uh, thank you so much for having me, uh, for giving me space to talk about the things that I care about, um, and to give a little bit of background about Philadelphia Printworks. Um, I have been doing this a long time, and I do typically like to stay behind the scenes. I'm not really one who likes to kind of be out there in front of cameras and stuff. Um, so I I just really am thankful and appreciative um, to be able to have this opportunity to talk about my values and my mission and why I do the things that I do. Um, you can find out more about us at philadelphiaprintworks.com. We're on all the social platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, TikTok, all the good things. And um, yeah, just be kind to your neighbor. And well, there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Mariam Pugh from Philadelphia Printworks PPW for coming on and sharing her story and the journey of growing out this business, this activism, this this work. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art, culture, community, activism in and around your neck of the woods. You just have to look for it. Mm -hmm.